Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. As always, it is a great joy to have you joining me here in the friendly confines of Chico, California. You know, we are in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11. My hope today is to get through verses 12 to 21. I'm going to read verses 12 to 15, reflect, and then verses 16 to 21 and reflect. But before we get into that, I did want to speak to something. Yesterday evening, I talked about how Paul would appear to be defending himself and how often (laughs) we have that temptation to defend ourselves. But when you take a closer look at St. Paul, what you quickly discover is that, yeah, he actually is defending himself, only to the extent that in himself he is bearing witness to the truth of Jesus Christ, right? He is not writing an epistle to protect what he has already said in some sort of selfish manner. No, he is writing a very pastoral epistle to the church of Corinth, from which at points it seems like he's defending himself, but in the end he's actually defending the truth of Jesus Christ. So what does he say time and time again? I boast of Jesus Christ who lives within me. Yes, I said these things. I want you to understand why I said these things, because I said these things for Jesus Christ, for the cause of Jesus Christ and the advance of the kingdom of God. So it is not about defending oneself for selfish reasons as much as it is defending oneself because (laughs) you are defending Jesus Christ. And in the end, it is about, yes, what motivates you? What motivates you? Is it the ego drama, right? The I or the theodrama, the thou? Is it about me, myself, and I, or Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Which trinity are you defending there? Okay, that being said, let us jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and I, again, will go ahead and read verses 12 to 15. And what I do... I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is not strange if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Okay, so what I wanted to do is take this opportunity to reflect a little closer into Satan as the angel of light and what that means, especially as it applies to our primary vocation as disciples of Christ. My friends, I want to pose a question for you this evening. If it were about looking at God, if it were possible, what would that tell us? Would that tell us anything? I mean, 
after all, what does St. Paul say? Satan appeared as an angel of light, an angel of light, while God appeared as the broken, mangled body of a young man dying on a cross. Who would have believed this truth without eyes and ears of faith? Faith. Brothers and sisters, what I wish to pose to you this evening is the importance of listening with the ears of faith, pondering with the ears of faith, contemplating with the ears of faith, that we might uncover what at one time was covered. And how do we do this? Well, here we can turn our attention to Mary. Did not Mary ponder? Did not she keep close to her heart the many things that were going on? And what is the Greek word for ponder? But symbolane, symbolane. Symbolane literally means to throw together, to bring together, to unify. You see, my friends, when you recollect, when you take a step back, you begin to see things for what they are. It has been a long time since I've used this image, an image that a professor of mine once used. You know when you are really close to a painting? I mean, really close to a painting. You really can't make out what that painting is. But the more you draw back, the better you can see the painting for what it is. It's etchings, it's pronouncements, it's color. It just kind of comes into view. You begin to see why complementary colors are used, because they bring out each other to its best advantage. Close up, you would not be able to make out those kinds of colors and those kinds of distinctions, but when you draw back, you can, right? The whole picture begins to unify. It begins to come together. Well, in the spiritual life, this is what pondering is all about. This bringing together, this coming together. Now here, we are made to gain an insight by contrasting the symbolane in the Greek, which means to bring together, with the Greek diabolane, which means to throw across, to scatter. Of course, from that Greek word diabolane, we get the English word diabolical, right? Which we so often translate generically as belonging to Satan. The Greek word for devil, diabolos, huh? that which scatters. So, Satan's function is to what? Leave us scattered, thrown asunder, confused about everyday life. We overcome the tempter's tactics by what? Piecing together, by pondering, making sense of, in God's grace, each situation and person we encounter in our everyday life. In other words, my friends, we overcome Satan's diabolane by imitating Mary's symbolane, Mary's pondering. Now, uh, it would behoove us to consider where else we see the identity of Satan in sacred scripture. Here, I'm thinking of how Satan, as the tempter, reveals something else about his function. What do I mean? Well, in sacred scripture, to show the essence of a person, both the Greek and Hebrew often use what is known as a verbal participle, to construct a noun with a very definitive article. What is the result? Well, the result is that the attribute is applied absolutely to the person in question. Thus, for example, in the liturgy, the phrase is used to describe God as what? 
the one having mercy. The title is given to Mary, the one who has been fully graced. We also have the sacred name of God as the one who is being. Now in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, we read, the one who is tempting, or as it has also been translated, the one who is placing obstacles in God's path. Essentially, my friends, the absolute nature of the tempter, of course, this name given to Satan, is to what but disrupt the flow of love from God to man by permanently diverting us from the path of God and confusing us of his message in the case of the petition within the Our Father, but deliver us from evil. You have more of this definitive language being used because as the petition best translates, it really means deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the one who seeks to divert. Deliver us from the one who seeks to confuse. Deliver us from the one who seeks to lie. The one whose function it is to disrupt the flow of love from God to man and man back to God. So it really is, my friends, imperative that we understand the singular purpose of Satan is one that is definitive. This is something that the Greek construct, as well as the Hebrew, really wants us to see. That by its very nature, what we are dealing with is the one who, of course, with the tempter, the one who wishes to impede our spiritual progress. Very, very important. He is the tempter. Now, as we're talking about the tempter, I am made to think of a particular temptation. One of the great temptations, I think, today, and I'm thinking about this because I just came out of a conversation on this, one of the great temptations is to question one's moral conviction. Brothers and sisters, the moment you begin to question your faithfulness to, say, your spouse or your children or your ministry, turn your attention to God. Make sure you are facing God. Make sure you are facing God. When you try to reason with temptation, you will lose. You will lose. Do not entertain Satan's enchanting possibilities like that of Adam and Eve. Turn to truth. Something that has been recommended by others, I now recommend to you. I think it would be helpful here, just a practical application to memorize sacred scripture and or some sayings maybe from your favorite saint that might be words of strength and encouragement as it relates to important scripture passages. Among others, I like Matthew chapter 12, verse 37, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Those words, yes, are a great challenge. That last half, and by your words you'll be condemned. But my friends, are those words also not a source of consolation? For by your words you will be justified. My dear friends, every time sin is renounced and repulsed, it is a source of strength, a source of strength as we move forward into our journey of faith to give glory to God. Don't get lazy and think that, well, now that you have overcome this one thing, you have it all figured out. 
We must never, never get complacent in the spiritual life. That is another one of the great tools of the adversary. What that one thing does, what that one act does for you when you renounce evil can become the starting point for your new life in Christ. There's that great quote that comes to us from C.S. Lewis, one of my favorites from C.S. Lewis. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. Good increases at compound interest. I love that. Well, could we not say that that small good act that C.S. Lewis talks about there can also be the renouncement? Could we not insert renouncement into that quote? The smallest renouncement today <laughs> is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of as good increases at compound interest. Capture that moment. Overcome the tempter, right? Overcome the angel of light, Satan, as he is described by Paul there. Don't fall prey to those interior convictions that are not rooted in Christ. That interior conviction that left Christ saying to St. Peter, get behind me, Satan. Remember those verses? Right after Jesus says to Peter, you are the rock and upon this rock I will build my church and death will not prevail against it. We have this exchange. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not on the side of God, but of men. Wow. Get behind me, Satan. What is going on there? Well, again, St. Peter was relying on his human interior convictions. Not thy will be done, but my will be done. Not the ways of God, but the ways of man. That's what Jesus is saying. I spoke to this recently as I was reflecting into this very gospel narrative. We so often have that tendency to place what we think God is doing versus what God is actually wanting to do. This is why we need to, again, draw back, my friends. We need to recollect to be able to see how God works. I mean, get behind me, Satan. Extraordinary words. And of course, the greatness of God's mercy is as such that he does forgive Peter. He forgives Peter many times. Of course, St. Peter goes on to do many great things. All right, that being said, let us turn our attention to verses 16 to 21. Verses 16 to 21. I repeat... No one should consider me foolish, but if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying, I am not saying according to the Lord, but as in foolishness in this boastful state. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly put up with fools since you are wise yourselves. For you put up with it if someone enslaves you or devours you, 
or gets the better of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I say that we were too weak. Now, I was going through Father Stegman's commentary here on 2 Corinthians, and he has a little topical essay on how St. Ignatius regarded St. Paul's language being a fool for Christ. And he does so within the context of how St. Ignatius delineates on the three modes of humility. So the first mode consists of the commitment to be faithful to God in all things and to never consent to do anything that would disrupt one's relationship with God, most especially, of course, serious sin. The second mode goes deeper. As one decides to adopt an attitude of indifference to riches or to poverty, to good or bad health, etc., what matters most here is responding to God's call in whatever circumstances lead us, okay? Now, the third mode, which in every way really encompasses the first two, goes even deeper. Here, one desires and chooses to align oneself with Jesus in his poverty, in his rejection, in his humility, even to the point of being accounted worthless and a fool for the sake of Christ. Paul, my friends, was willing to play the role of a fool, a fool for the Corinthians, because as will become clear really in the remainder of this boast, he was fully committed to following Jesus with the most radical form of humility. As I was saying off the top, what Paul is concerned about is Paul, right? No, no, he's concerned about Jesus Christ. St. Teresa of Avila talks about these grades of prayer. I'm not going to get into these grades of prayer right now, but one of the points that she makes is the deeper you are conformed to Christ, the deeper you will come to understand that all that matters is Christ. And when you have arrived at that point, you really don't care what people think. You know, St. Ignatius was talking about this kind of holy indifference. And ultimately, that leads you where? into this kind of transforming union with Jesus Christ, as St. Teresa of Avila would speak to it, which correlates with St. Ignatius of Loyola here, where he's talking about this entrance into our Lord's very poverty, very humility, very rejection. You know, my friends, there's something fascinating about God being up there, and that is he can't go higher, right? All he could ever know in human history is what? But debasement, utter poverty. The moment he decides to move, he can only go down. He can only know poverty. Why? That's the essence of love. Love continues to sink deeper and deeper and deeper. So far deep that you're actually entering into the very poverty of God, the very poverty of Christ. Maybe by way of illustration here, something I have talked about in the past. Have you ever gone out of your way to do something for someone, and that someone that you do something for rejects you? And you say to yourself, how dare you? How dare you reject my gift of time? How dare you reject my counsel? How dare you? So on and so forth. Yet, my friends, every time we sin, this is what we do to Jesus Christ. Jesus. 
What does Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We enter into Christ on the cross every time someone does something like that to us, every time someone rejects the gift of our time or any kind of gift that we have given them. We say, how dare you? But we should say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when you can say that in God's grace, like St. Paul does, of course, then we are entering deeper into God's own poverty, God's own humiliation, God's own rejection. I know for some of you out there, you're thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. this is kind of heavy, Joe, for, for <laughs> Tuesday, Wednesday evening radio, right? Well, my friends, you've asked me to go through Paul's second letter to Corinthians, and I'm simply going through Paul's second letter to the Corinthians and reflecting with it. And this is what Paul has for us. And it is so, so important for us to enter into these truths, not to overuse that phrase, enter into, but this really is uh, what this is about. Now, certainly, as Father Stegman suggests, St. Paul in these verses offers up a bit of a risky strategy. (laughs) You know, the fact that Paul takes several verses, and these verses that I just read, and really all of chapter 11, is a strong indicator of his distaste for the undertaking. So the question then that begs to be asked on the heels of everything that we have talked about this evening is simply this, and it's the question that Father Stegman posits. Why then does St. Paul choose to go through with his boast a decision that leaves him vulnerable to the same criticism he levels against his super apostles? Well, here again, we turn our attention to St. Ignatius of Loyola, who taught that sometimes it is necessary to enter the other person's door before you can bring him or her through your own door. Certainly, my friends, in this case, St. Paul realizes that some of the Corinthians have been mesmerized by the manner and content of the intruding missionaries and their boasting. So what does he do? He decides to play their game. That is, to go through another's door by offering his own boast. But what have we already established? Paul's intent is to lead the Corinthians and probably the intruding emissaries as well, through his own door by showing that the only thing worth boasting about is what the Lord God empowers. This, yes, is a risky strategy, as Father Stegman notes here, but it is sometimes necessary. You have heard me talk about this before in the context of the new evangelization. Sometimes it is necessary to walk through another person's door, but we do have to be really intentional that as we do that, We do so with the intention of them following us back out that door, that they are now following the new way of Christ. Huh? So, some interesting truths to reflect with here this evening, are they not? St. Paul is so darn crafty. He's so creative in how he goes about reaching those who normally wouldn't be reached. Okay? We have to think about this today without ever abandoning those principles of revealed truth, okay, without ever abandoning the core precepts of our faith, but mindful 
that if we are going to bring people to Jesus Christ, we need to engage them. We need to encounter them. We need to allow them. We need to allow ourselves to pass through their door that they might pass through our door, the door which is Jesus Christ, right? You can turn this upside down. You know, when someone comes to your door, right, don't push them away. Open your door all the way up and let them in and have that conversation. Go there. Embrace that encounter which God has foreordained for you to embrace. Let God show you what he desires to show you. And present to God, as you have been formed to be present to God, engage that person. Here I'm thinking of maybe a Mormon has come to your door. I have good friends who are Mormons. They come to my door, and they have lots of things to share with me. Am I going to just shut my door in their face? No. No, I'm going to open up my door by the grace of God and have that conversation with them. I'm not going to fear what they have to say, but listen to them by the grace of God, and hopefully they'll listen to me. And if nothing else, if nothing else, by the end of that conversation, I might be able to call them friend, a friend and in good time, hopefully, a friend in Christ, right? Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.